So this is the first Sunday of a new year, and a lot of people come into a new year with all sorts of expectations and dreams and ideas. So this morning I want to explore the process of embracing our God-given dreams. If you could achieve all that your heart desired for God, what would that be? A boy was watching Michelangelo making a carving. And he was working hard, chipping away at this block of marble that would become his greatest masterpiece, his statue of David. And so this boy said, why are you chipping away at that block of stone? And Michelangelo replied, he said, there's an angel inside of this rock and I'm setting him free. And the power of vision enables us to see a potential masterpiece in what other people may not be able to see. It helps us to discover things within ourselves that we may not have even known were there. Many of God's people seem to be losers in life, but God can turn all of us into winners. You know, the disciples had fished all night, and they'd caught absolutely nothing. And then Jesus turned around to them and encouraged them and said, in Luke chapter 5 verse 10, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men Instead, and they did, and they ended up building God's church, a church that is still thriving today, over 2,000 years later. And we're gathering here today because those disciples went out into all the world and preached the gospel. But does that mean that we can just have any, any dream and expect God to? approve our dream and to make it happen. No. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 to 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. It's not about what we want. It's about honoring God and achieving in our life what God wants. Belonging to Christ means we can't just take our talents, opportunities and experience and race off in any direction we please. But why would we even want to? What could possibly be more fulfilling than fulfilling God's call on our lives? What could be more tragic than missing out on God's call? For our lives. Not many of you will have heard of Agnes Bojaksu. She was born in Albania in 1910. And as a teenager, she felt called to Christian ministry. And so she trained in Ireland and in India. And one day she said to her superiors, I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Her superiors looked at her and said, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. 
Agnes smiled and said, I know, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. Agnes served God for 50 years, working amongst the poorest of the poor in the slums of Kolkata. She became one of the most recognized and revered women in the world. And in 1979, Agnes, who was also known as Mother Teresa, won the Nobel Peace Prize. How does a woman with three pennies inspire people to give billions of dollars to charity so that they can build orphanages and feed the poor? Never underestimate what can be achieved with a God-given dream. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for us in advance. And so God is strategically positioning us to be in the right place at the right time. He's setting us up to achieve his plan. We can all have an incredible sense of destiny in our lives. Let's look briefly at the story of Nehemiah from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. In chapter 1 verse 4 it says, When Nehemiah, who was a slave, a captive in Babylon, heard that the wall way back in Jerusalem was not being rebuilt, he sat down and wept. The city of Jerusalem had no protection from its surrounding enemies. And this was disturbing news to Nehemiah. But it was also a turning point in his life. A seed was planted in his spirit. He was a waiter in the palace of the king in Babylon. And he received a God-given dream to rebuild that city of Jerusalem. He had limited education, no experience in construction or leadership. But he returned to Jerusalem and he rallied the people together and they rebuilt that wall in only 52 days. When the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem, they'd knocked down the wall. And here was all this rubble, here were all these bricks. But Nehemiah got the people together and said, look, we can rebuild it. And in 52 days, that wall was rebuilt. There was no earthly way that he could have achieved what he did. It was a miracle. And we also can never underestimate someone with a God-given dream. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4b, it tells us that Nehemiah wept and mourned. He fasted and prayed for days on end. And when we're pursuing a God-given dream, we don't have to be told to pray. The bigger the dream is, the more we need to pray. We'll never have a great prayer life if we don't have a great dream. A lot of dreams die because they never take root in our spirit. Catherine Marshall said, Dreaming is praying. There is no limit to what this combination of dreams and prayers 
can achieve. If you have a God-given dream, when you are dreaming of what God can do through you, you're praying at the same time. You're saying, God, enable me to do this for you. We've got to be careful that we're pursuing God's dream and not a dream of our own. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When our, desire, our delight is in the Lord, our dreams will be his dreams, because he will put them there. And that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? As babies, we grow into mature adults and become more and more independent. Babies can do very little on their own. They need to be changed and burped and fed. And as parents, when we see our children grow up, we want to see them grow into responsible, independent adults. But our relationship with God is the opposite. Before we know God, we're in a state of rebellion. We're doing things our own way. We try to get by without any help or interference from God. But God wants us to become totally dependent on him. To live moment by moment with a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, God puts his spirit inside of us. Some people call it conscience, but it's actually the Spirit of God speaking into our spirit, telling us, do this, don't do that. And when we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, He guides us and He leads us in all sorts of ways. The bigger our dreams, the more dependent we become on the Lord. Have you got unfulfilled dreams? Or dreams that you had maybe as a teenager that have died. It was four months before Nehemiah requested permission from the king to go to Jerusalem. This must have seemed like an eternity to Nehemiah. You know, God's timing is incredibly important. We live in a microwave society and we expect things to happen instantly. But we have to walk with the Lord and we have to sense what his timing is in every situation. There is a time when many dreams just seem to die or just gather dust. Nehemiah was literally 1,000 miles from Jerusalem. In a day where you had to travel by horse or camel. He had no idea how he would get to that place where he knew God wanted him to be. And it can be the same with, with us. We can be a thousand miles from achieving our dream. We look at our dream and we think that can never happen. It's not going to work out. Many months and years may pass by and that dream may just remain a dream. George Eliot said, it's never too late to be who you might have been. Some of you older folk, think back to some of the dreams that you had as a young man or a young woman. 
God can resurrect dreams that have died. Nothing is impossible to God. You know, Moses had a dream of delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He, was, he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was in line to be a pharaoh. And he had this dream that he would be the man that would release the Israelites from captivity. But then he took the law into his own hands and he killed a man. And he had to escape from Egypt. He spent 40 years living in the wilderness. He married a woman. They had two children. What happened to his dream? What was he thinking when he was a farmer out there in the wilderness? It's all about God's timing. We can try and take things into our own hands, but it may not work the way we expect. The greatest visionary of all was Jesus. In his day, people seldom ventured more than about 30 kilometers from their home. Yet in Mark 16 verse 15, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Fancy saying at that time, go into all the world. People didn't even really know how big the world was at that point. And as followers of Christ, we're part of something that's much, much bigger than ourselves. We may not have power or position, and we can often feel inadequate in our lives. But we are all valuable parts of God's great dream. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Faith without works is dead. It takes prayer and work to turn our dreams into reality. Prayer keeps our dreams alive. If you've stopped dreaming, then it's time to start praying. But prayer is no excuse for sitting back and doing nothing and expecting everything just to happen. Oswald Chambers warns, we cannot do what God does and God will not do what we can do. And in Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. God loves it when we work at something with all our heart. Are you serving God wholeheartedly or are you just giving him the leftovers? But dreams can also die if we're trying to do something that we're not gifted or called to do. I don't know how many of you watch American Idol on TV, but um, the people that audition for that, some of them, they just can't sing. They're way out of tune, but they think that they're really good. And they screech out these songs that embarrass them to the people that watch it. And later on, when they see it themselves, they suddenly realize that they're not as good as they thought they were. And so sometimes you have someone that has a dream that really isn't God's dream for them. And it's outside of their capability, even with God's help. 
Thomas Edison, who was the inventor of the light bulb, he said genius is 1% inspiration and 90% perspiration. If you can't sing and you're tone deaf, no matter how much work you put into it, you probably will never be a great singer. But with many things, we can start off very poorly, but we can learn, we can train, we can grow, we can develop our skills, and we can become something that we never dreamt we would be. Have you wondered how animal trainers keep a five-ton elephant from achieving its dream of running away? They do it by controlling that animal's thinking. When the baby elephant is being trained, a rope is put around its leg and tied to a stake in the ground. The elephant pulls on the rope, but he's unable to break free, and eventually he gives up. And from that point on, whenever the elephant's leg is tied, it believes it can't get away, even though it's a five-ton powerful elephant that is capable of moving almost anything. Even though it's fully capable of escaping, it remembers back to that struggle it has, it had when it was a baby. And we can be just like that in our thinking. Our thinking limits us in the same way that the elephant's thinking limits it. And usually we become limited through fear, and it's fear that can steal our dreams. We may be fearful of failure. We may be fearful of embarrassing ourselves, looking stupid. We may be fearful of rejection. What will our friends say or think or do if we decide we're going to do that? We may be afraid to really try hard because we deep down think we can't succeed. If we yield to those thoughts, if we believe that we can't attain our dream, then we won't attain our dream. But most of our fears are not connected to reality. The first step to overcoming our fear is to believe what God says about us in Isaiah 41 verses 9 to 10. This is a word for each one of us. God is saying this to you today. He's saying, you are my servant. I have chosen you. Do not fear. For I am with you. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God understands that fear is our biggest enemy. He wants to help us to overcome our fears. And because fears are feelings, our damaged feelings can be removed and changed through faith and trust. In Jesus Christ. You know, when I was pastor of the International Church in Baku, I couldn't get a visa in a Muslim country as a pastor. And so when I went over there, my official title was to be a life coach. To challenge people, to stretch and equip people 
Not to just let them feel comfortable. To enable people to see their God-given potential and to desire to release that potential in people. And a, a dream of mine for Taupo Baptist Church is to see all of us functioning in the gifts that God has given us. And when that happens, this church will come alive in a way we could never imagine. It's like the human body. I have a finger, I have a thumb, I have a leg. If I'm not using this leg, then I'm hopping around on one foot. The body is disabled. But when we all use the gifts that God has given us, the body comes alive and can be powerful and impact a whole city. Nehemiah pushed hard for commitment from those people. And a lot of dreams die because they're just an idea. They're a theory or a theology. You know, when David was anointed to be king of Egypt, of um, Israel, he was just a young boy. But he spent 15 years running around through the wilderness in the desert trying to escape from King Saul. And it was during those 15 years that God developed in him the character that he needed. And in a similar way, step by step, God is leading us into his perfect plan for our lives. He wants our faith and our trust in him to grow. Joseph also had a dream. A dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. He told his brothers about the dream. And that wasn't the smartest thing to do at that point because they became very jealous of him and they hated him. He had a lot of growing up to do as well. And most of that growing up took place when he was a slave and when he was in prison. We may sense God's plan for our life and expect everything to happen immediately. It's someone that gets a prophetic word that they're going to be a great teacher. And they go out and they... They preach and they teach, but they don't have the gift. The gift hasn't been developed. And it's through the experiences of life. It's through understanding people and learning to communicate. Being able to tell when people are listening to you. Being able to tell when you've said too much. When it's time to stop and listen to someone else. These are all things that God needs to develop in us if we want to be a speaker. As we look back at what we've already overcome in our lives, we realize that most, on most occasions, the failure that we've experienced hasn't done permanent damage and that we actually grow stronger through it. Seek the Lord as he equips and prepares you for his calling. Philippians 1 verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Live in that place of rest and trust in the Lord. Allow the difficulties of life to prepare and qualify you for what God has in your future. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And as we take communion this morning, first of all, make sure 
that you're in right relationship with the Lord. Confess any sin that you have in your heart that you may feel is blocking that relationship. And then come into his presence and thank him for giving his life so that your relationship with God could be restored. But at the same time this morning, ask the Lord what he is saying to you as an individual and to us as a church. How can you serve God more effectively? How can you love him more and delight in him? And we're going to put a couple of quotes on the screen that uh, may help you in your meditation as well. The first one is by John Maxwell, where he says, God has put a dream inside each one of you. It's yours and no one else's. It declares your uniqueness. It holds your potential. Only you can give birth to this dream. Only you can live it. Not to discover it or take responsibility for it and act upon it is to negatively affect yourself as well as all those others that would benefit from the gift that God's given you. And it also deprives the Lord of the glory that he deserves. And another famous poet and writer, John Greenleaf Whittier, he wrote, For all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. We don't want to be, and it might have been people, do we? We want to say, Lord, take me, use me, fulfill your destiny in me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that because of the death of Jesus, we can be restored to a relationship with you, where we know you, where we love you, where you delight in us and you speak to us. Lead us and guide us. Lord, as we come to this place of communion this morning, as we take the bread and the wine, Lord, may we feel really close to you. Lord, as we ask you afresh to forgive us for the things that we still struggle with, that we battle with, that pull us down from time to time. Lord, we just pray that... Uh, our relationship will be restored and that you can speak to us in a special way this morning. Lord, tell us what our gifts are, what dreams you have for us. And Lord, instead of just going through the motions, the same old, same old, Lord, may this be a year that really counts for your kingdom as we come alive as a church and as we touch this community, this city, this nation, in Jesus' name.